Well, welcome to Sunday night. I am the guest speaker tonight. Turn your Bibles to uh, John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be tonight. Familiar story for a lot of us. Uh, It's going to be Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, I also hope that you have the capability of flipping through pages tonight, because if you're on your phone, it might get a little bit difficult uh, to uh, flip back and forth. Because one of the cool things about Jesus feeding the 5,000 is that it's one of those accounts where it's across all four Gospels. Is an important story amongst all of what Jesus did. Outside of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's only a handful of accounts that are across all four Gospels, and Jesus feeding the 5,000 is definitely one of those. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with Bible study programs. Um, I think we're far enough out of the beginning of the year that I can actually say this without repercussions. Not that I don't, I love Bible study. Um, sometimes, though, when we get into Bible study programs, the difficult thing is, is we follow the program and we don't pay attention to the content. Because if you ever trip up and you miss a day in a lot of Bible reading programs, you're so far behind that it almost feels too exhausting to try to catch up. Does anybody, you guys know what I'm talking about? I embarked on one year of uh, Bible study where I thought that I could read the New Testament twice and the Old Testament once. You have to read four chapters a day. Imagine missing a day and then you're at eight chapters, which isn't so bad when you're in Psalms. But like if you're in the book of Luke and the, you know, the chapters are like forever long, it just feels like horrendous. So one of the things that I started to do several years ago, because Bible study is important and you should do it every day because... You know, you get to spend time with God and get to understand things deeper. As I slowed down, I slowed down and I started to take it a little bit easy. That if I'm going to read the Bible every day, I would rather get something out of the Bible than I would actually rather like meet an objective. Which, and I'm very disciplined and I like meeting objectives. It's just kind of one of the things that I do. But I also like understanding the Bible. So one of the goals that I have tonight for you guys is for you to fall in love with studying the Bible as well. And this is a really fun account to go through and see how the Bible speaks to different aspects of, um, of the Gospels, how they, they speak to Jesus doing different things and how we can put those things together. And it's actually kind of fun to see how God has woven all those, these four accounts together through four different authors. We know the Holy Spirit being the ultimate author, but it's just really kind of a fun way of looking at Bible study tonight. The other thing that I want you guys to get out of tonight is that Jesus is the hero. When we read the Bible, Jesus is the hero. That is the ultimate goal, is for us to understand that Jesus is the hero. It's not about us. It's about what God is doing. We get to participate alongside of him, but it is about God and what God is doing. And Jesus is ultimately the hero. The Old Testament points forward to Jesus. The Gospels tell us that Jesus is here And the uh, epistles will tell us about how we live out the new life that we have with Jesus. But everything points to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now, when we're also doing Bible study, one of the things that you need to understand is when you're reading a text of scripture, there is a main point. Again, you aren't the main point. Sorry to tell you. Sorry to break it to you. You're not the main point of scripture. Now, we can glean things from it, but there is a main point of what we're reading. And tonight, I hope that we'll be able to generate that main point, and then we'll be able to also take from the main thing that the writer is talking about 
And then we'll be able to apply that in many different ways. Because a lot of times with Bible study, we run into the application first and we miss the whole point of things. And that's how we get coffee cup verses. That's how we misinterpret verses. And that's how things go awry. Fair enough? Things are a little bit different on a Sunday night, I hear. So I figured I'd take a different approach than I normally would on a Sunday morning. So hopefully you have finally found... John chapter 6. If you have a pew Bible, because I like what Toby does, it's on 1,143. John chapter 6 is on 1,143 on the pew Bible. Um, You might also want to mark on your Bibles four different other sections. Matthew, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, 1,052 in the pew Bible. Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44, or 1080 in the Pew Bible. Mark, chapter 6, 30 through 44. And Luke, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. Hopefully your fingers are working tonight, because we're going to have some fun here in a little bit. So Luke, chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, and that's on 1,112 in your pew Bibles. All right, so let's read the word of God together, and we'll start in John chapter 6, and then we'll break it down. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. All right, so Jesus feeding the five thousand. If you've read through the book of John before, you've come across this. Like I said, it's a very popular chapter in the Bible. It's really fascinating. I mean, it's pretty cool that Jesus, with the little boy's lunch, is able to feed 5,000 people. But there's so much context that's going on in this little section. If you break down what says at the very beginning, after this, Jesus. After this, well, what is the after this? So when we're doing Bible study, one of the things that you need to do is look at the context around what you are actually reading. And that will help you identify so much stuff. One of the things that you'll see, on I call them coffee cup verses or Twitter verses, is that people take little context or little snippets that sound really good 
of Scripture, but then when you read the context, you're like, oh, well, maybe Jeremiah is not actually talking about my future as far as uh, me getting into college or you know the plans that God has for me. That verse, it's actually talking about um, Israel going into captivity and being uh, disciplined by God. But if you read the context, then you get that. So when we're looking at the context here, you see Jesus has been embroiled in a battle with the Pharisees, which has made Jesus very endeared to the population. Jesus, if you will, has achieved rock star status. People want Jesus. They love Jesus. Have you ever seen some of the, well, for some of us older, younger people, yeah, in between where you guys are, some like older clips of like the Beatles coming to America and everybody getting so excited about seeing the Beatles show up, like the screaming and the fainting. Have you guys seen this? No? You should look it up. It's pretty wild. Or like Michael Jackson when he was the thing too. Anyway, that's like, that's how I see Jesus at this point in time, right? Like everybody wants to be around Jesus. Everybody wants to see Jesus. And Jesus is doing some really cool stuff. Right? He's fighting with the political leaders of the day. And I mean, hey, we could get behind some of that right now. I mean, especially if you read Facebook or, you know, you watch the news a little bit, everybody's looking for somebody to fight with. So we got Jesus who's, you know, he's battling with the Pharisees a little bit, albeit Jesus' goal is to bring people back to God. I don't necessarily think that today the political discussions are necessarily about that, but I digress. But he's also doing some pretty amazing things. People are fascinated by Jesus because of the miracles. Because that would be quite a fascinating thing for you to be a paralytic and all of a sudden you can jump up and walk. To be blind and now you can see. To be sick and now you're healed. And we see this in chapter 2 that this large crowd was following him because they saw the signs. Now, some other fascinating things that are going on here, and this is what makes Bible studies so much fun. And particularly when you're studying through the Gospels. If you go over to uh, Matthew chapter 14, if you go over to Matthew chapter 14, you're going to find out some of the other context of what's going on in Jesus' life at this point in time. Do you guys remember who John the Baptist is? John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. If you go into the the book of Luke at the very beginning, you're going to see that Jesus has a cousin named John. John the Baptist is who he ultimately becomes. He's about six months older than Jesus. He's also the forerunner of Jesus. I'm guessing that they're pretty tight, right? Well, John 14, we see that John the Baptist is beheaded. Imagine the emotion of your cousin being beheaded. There's a little bit that goes on with that. So we get to this feeding of the 5,000, and John the Baptist has been beheaded. Jesus is dealing with that with all the emotions of your cousin being beheaded. On top of all of that, the 12 apostles, if you go over to uh, Mark chapter 6 and verse 30... If you go over there, you see that the 12 apostles have just come back from their first missionary journey. And so they're excited about what God has been doing through them. I mean, they've been doing some pretty cool stuff. I don't know about you guys, but if I could cast out a demon or if I could heal the sick, that'd be kind of a cool trick to be able to do, right? I mean, like, you'd feel pretty good, especially when Jesus tells you, hey, you go out, you do these things, don't take any money with you, don't take uh, extra clothes or anything, you're just going to stay with people, and they're going to welcome you in, you go heal the sick, you go preach repentance, and it's all going to be good. So the disciples, or these 12 apostles, are getting back, and they're excited. So Jesus has got cousin, who's just been beheaded, he's got his buddies that are just now getting back, and they're all pumped up about what's going on, and you've got all these people 
who are excited to see Jesus and what he's about to do for them. Do you talk about feeling overwhelmed? Have you ever felt overwhelmed before with all that you have going on, with the emotional side of things, with the people who want something from you? I know there's a lot of moms out there that feel that way. And Jesus can relate to us. He understands what that means for us to feel overwhelmed with people wanting our attention and needing our attention. But how does Jesus deal with it? He's giving of himself. He's compassionate to the people, knowing that they are, as one, uh, one of the Gospels puts it, sheep without a shepherd. And so he's fascinated by helping these people. Now, one of the cool things about Bible study is uh, at the beginning of this book, you find out in chapter 1 that Philip is uh, from a town called Bethsaida. And when you read the Luke account, you find out that where this particular location is Bethsaida. So this, John is the only account that actually lists out who the people talking are. It's kind of fascinating to me, maybe not to you guys. But originally, I was like, why Philip? Like, we don't read anything about Philip ever. Like, he's kind of one of the long-lost apostles. I mean, we know about Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, because he's Simon Peter's brother. Like, how would you like to go through life and you are somebody's brother? Like, you're not even your own name. You're just Simon Peter's brother. Oh, that guy, Simon Peter's brother. It's quite a humbling experience, I could imagine. But nonetheless, those are the two people that are called out here. And this event that takes place is, you've got a lot of people who need to be fed. What do you do with that? All these people have come to be healed. And so... Jesus turns to Philip and he's like, hey man, this is your hometown? Like, where's the best places to eat? How are you going to feed these people? Like, show some hospitality, Philip. And what's Philip's response? Uh, 200 denarii, which is like eight months of wages, is not going to feed, like it's not going to give anybody hardly anything at all. He's pretty freaked out about this whole scenario. 800 denarii, or yeah, 200 denarii, eight months worth of wages, is not going to actually do much to feed all these people. And then it gets even more fascinating when you start going through the other accounts. Jesus says to Philip, you know, he says this so that he can test him. Andrew shows up and he's like, hey, we've got this little boy here. He's got five loaves and two fish, which, if I understand correctly, is like the equivalent of a Lunchable. You guys, Lunchables, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he's got the equivalent of like a lunchable. And so you're going to feed all these people? I mean, Andrew's point is, um, what is that for so many? These are all logical things that, these questions that are being asked, right? How are we going to do this, Jesus? You're telling me that we're supposed to feed all these people. All we have is five loaves and two fish. And when I say all they have is five loaves and two fish, I mean they only have five loaves and two fish, If you go to the Luke account in Luke 9.13, it says they have no more than. Mark in 6.38 says, Jesus tells them to find out how many, go and see. And then in Matthew, it says, we only have. So all they could find amongst 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not how many women and children there are, they have five, they have a Lunchable. That's it. Some mom was kind enough to pack her son a snack And that's all they got for more than 5,000 people. Pretty crazy, right? 
So what do you do with that? How, how do you handle that? Well, remember when I said at the very beginning, what did the apostles just get back from doing? They had just gotten back from casting out demons. They had just gotten back from healing the sick. And their response is, how are we going to do this, Jesus? What are we going to do with this? There's so many people. How can we do If I just cast out demons, I would love to think that if I just cast out demons and I just healed sick people, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, what are we going to do here? Like, yeah, you're testing me. How about I test you? You tell me what we're going to do. Oh, yeah, we've got five loaves and two fish. How are you going to do this? Let's see what you got here, buddy. Like, that's what I would love to think. But these guys just got back from doing that, and they're freaked out. So what tells me is that no matter how many times I watch God do something in my life, there's always room for me to question what he's doing and how he's going to do it. These guys just got back from doing amazing things, and they're questioning how God, how Jesus is going to actually do something. And I look at Jesus, and and like this is where the humor of the Bible, if you guys don't see humor in the Bible, you're not looking well enough, because this is funny. Right? It's like the parent that has something that they want to do for their kids, and they know exactly how it's going to do, and they ask the question in some preposterous way just to test their kid on if they're going to actually trust them or not. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's like, hey, Philip, we got all these people out here. They need fed. Do something about that. Like, Jesus, you can just see it in his face. You can see the humor and what he's doing. Jesus knows, and Jesus cares, and Jesus is able to do more than we can think or imagine. And so we move forward from there, where Jesus says, all right, guys, chill out, I got this. And he prays to the Father, and then he starts passing things out. I would have loved to have been there to watch this happen, right? It it reminds you of Elijah when he was with the widow of Zarephath. In First Kings chapter 17, where he is going to this woman and says, hey, give me some food. And she's like, look, I'm about to die. I've got one meal left. I'm going to cook the meal. Then we're just going to die. That's kind of what we got. I mean, like, pretty depressing. And he's like, no, 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 no. Just you cook me the meal. I'll take it. And then you'll have unending bread until this drought is over with. And that's what happens. And Jesus is just passing out bread. He just kind of makes you wonder, like, does he take a break and then he's passed it out and it just, like, continues that way? I don't know. It's kind of how my mind works when I think about these things. It doesn't matter. It says that 5,000 men, not including women, not including children, 5,000 men were fed. Not just fed, they were satisfied with the food that they were given. And so what that tells us is God's blessings are better than anything we can think of or imagine. There is an abundance in this. Steve had a um, John 10.10 up this morning where he talks about that Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. God's blessings are greater than anything we can think of or we can imagine. And there's a point to all of this because when originally talked about Philip, there was another character of the story that we don't know what his name is. We don't know anything about him. Other than what John tells us is that it's a little lad. So we have Philip who just got finished casting out demons. We have Andrew who just finished casting out demons. And then we have this little boy who is insignificant, who has a lunchable to offer. So an insignificant means and an insignificant person 
And God was able to use him for his glory. Which should give us encouragement. The fact that God is able to do so many great things through people who are insignificant, with insignificant things. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what income you make. It doesn't matter your capabilities to speak, to walk, to whatever. God is able to use you. And the key point to all of this is that he was able to use them. He was able to use the little boy because he submitted himself to Jesus. And this is what we'll find out here in just a minute. That was a pretty big deal. So the abundance happens. And the people are pumped. Like, could you imagine sitting down to an all-you-can-eat buffet that Jesus just prepared for you with five loaves and two fish? Like, people had to know that this was a pretty amazing thing. And so we see in verse 14 that when the people saw the sign, John 14, or John 6, verse 14, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Which is a pretty amazing thing when you you do more Bible study. Because when John the Baptist showed up on the scene in John chapter 1, verse 21, he was asked, are you Elijah? And he's like, no, I'm not Elijah. Because in the Old Testament, there are prophecies about Jesus and the, one of those prophecies is that John the ba- or that Elijah would come back. There would be a forerunner before the Messiah. And so there was all this expectation around this period of time is John the Baptist, the one that we've been waiting for. And they said, no, you're not that guy. What about the prophet? And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 16, you see that John or that uh, Moses is saying that there's going to be another prophet that comes, one that's kind of like me. And so there's this expectation of the Messiah coming. And that's who we're dealing with here is the prophet. They see Jesus because he gave them food. And they said, this is the guy that we want to follow. One of the things that we have to be careful about, and I watch it over and over again, is serving God for the things that he can give to us and not serving God because of who God is. We love God for the blessings, but the whole making him Lord of our life is a very, very difficult thing. And these people watched Jesus heal sick people. They watched Jesus feed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. And in 52 verses later, or the next day, many of them are walking away from him. So if you ever thought that you could watch Jesus do amazing things and hold tight to him, that your faith is going to be built on the blessings that God gives to you, you got another thing coming. There's something deeper about following Jesus than just the things that he can offer to you. If you read and turn over to uh, John 6 and verse 60. We see this. We see the people who watched Jesus do amazing things and then turn away from him. John 6, verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself 
that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to the Father or can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They loved what Jesus could do for them when it came to their material things. They loved that he blessed their life with food. They loved that he blessed their life with health. They loved that he blessed them with emotional stability and cast out demons. It's a beautiful thing. But when it came time to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, they said, No, we're good. We love you for your things. We do not want you as our Savior. And unfortunately, if we read in our songbooks, most of the songs that talk about heaven from about 1900 on is all about us getting to heaven for God's stuff and nothing about worshiping him in glory forever. Getting to be involved in him. Go look it up. It's pretty crazy. Not right now. I mean, you can right now if you're that bored. But nonetheless. But where we are to be is where Peter comes into next. Verse 67. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Now this is the statement that is, times are getting tough. Things are about to get pretty rough. You guys are going to start experiencing some things that aren't great. It's not going to be going and, and preaching and everybody being excited and casting out demons. There's some real persecution that's about to be had for you. This is when the rubber meets the road to use our vernacular today. So let me ask you this, guys. Do you want to go away as well? It's easier out there. If you walk away now, it's easier out there. It's fun. I mean, you don't get eternal life, but what is that for today? Like, what does that matter today? Peter answers in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Where am I supposed to go? Like, this life is temporary. We've watched people die. We've experienced death. We have watched how things can crumble. We have watched you do amazing things. To whom shall we go? You are the one who, have, who has the words of eternal life. And so having Jesus is a lot more than just having Jesus' stuff. There is an abundant life that comes on the back end of enjoying a relationship with Jesus. But our relationship with Jesus is not incumbent upon him giving us anything. In fact, when you start following Jesus, things may get tougher for you. Things may not be so kosher for you. They may not be great. You may experience loss. You may be experiencing death. You may be experiencing persecution. But Jesus says, you've got to count the cost. Take your cross. Bear it daily. Follow me. Because on the back end of all of this is eternal life. It's glory. 
Nothing can compare to what is on the other side of when we close our eyes in death. If our faith and our hope and our trust is in Jesus Christ. All of this is temporary. It all fades away. It all goes away. So where are you at tonight? Are you with the masses when they hear the hard, when they experience the difficult that say, later, dude. Or do you stand with Peter who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You're the one who has eternal life. We'll die for you. Because we believe that on the other side of all this is something far greater than this world has to offer. And so that's the question that is offered to you tonight. And if you've been waiting around to figure out, do I want to give my life to Jesus? My question to you is the same one that Ananias asked Paul when Paul is retelling his conversion story in Acts twenty two sixteen. Ananias said to him, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins calling on his name. Why are you waiting? What are you waiting for to hold out on? What more do you need? And that's a great question. If there is more that you need, then somebody's willing to talk to you. Guess I'm going to offer an invitation. We'll just do it that way. So there'd be an elder in the back. I guess we're not going to sing a song because we don't do that on Sunday nights. Everything's just out of whack for me tonight. But we're going to offer an invitation anyway. If you have questions and you need prayers, whatever it may be, there will be somebody that you can grab. Come find me. Let's go talk. Let's have some fun. Let me offer a prayer and then we'll get out of here. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that Jesus is our hero. We thank you that we have we watched some amazing things happen. We've seen you test. We've seen you do incredible things through insignificant people. We've watched how your word is perfectly aligned with itself through many different authors. And Father, we pray that you will help us to have faith. And all of this, all this sermon tonight was is, Faith. Do we have faith? Are we going to trust in you? Are you our hero? Are you the Lord of our lives? And Father, I pray for those that are on the fence that they will make the decision to follow you, that they will make you Lord of their lives, and that they will go with you wherever you go. Because to whom shall we go? You are the one who has eternal life. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.